Welcome to the ASSP Safety Standards and Tech Pubs podcast. The unexpected release of hazardous energy from machines, equipment, and processes can injure workers, damage property, and disrupt business operations. Therefore, it is crucial for safety professionals to know how to properly safeguard machinery and equipment so the workers can do their job safely and equipment stays in proper working order. Joining me today to talk about the steps safety professionals can take to help protect workers and equipment from the release of hazardous energy is Todd Grover. Todd is a former committee member for the ANSI-ASSP Z244.1 standard on lockout, tagout, and alternative methods for controlling hazardous energy. Todd, it's great to have you. Thank you so much for coming on. It's always a pleasure uh, working with you and talking about Z244. <laughs> great. Let's uh, let's get to it. So when people hear the phrase hazardous energy, a lot of things may come to mind. So in this conversation about how to control it, I thought we could start there. As far as the safety professional is concerned, when we say hazardous energy, what are some of the things we're talking about? Well, I think what you have to look at is the purpose of lockout and tagout when ANSI first wrote their very first Z244 standard and then it mainly got adopted to be the OSHA law, okay. is that it's preventing mechanical movement that could hurt people. Okay. Okay. Now, a lot of people would say, oh, the hazardous energy is, is, is about electricity. You know, and yes, it is when the electricity drives motors or pumps or um, creates the, the movement uh, that could cause the harm. Mm-hmm. But there's an, another aspect of lockout related to electrical safe work practices. You know, Z244 really focuses on these mechanical and these physical hazards uh, in terms mm-hmm. of energy types that many people don't take into consideration. All too often, people just turn off the electrical power, <laughs> throw a lock on it and call it good, don't realize there's an awful lot of other things going on that can hurt people. So e- even even with the lock on it, the, the power shut off, there's still hazards present that a lot of people may not be oh, thinking about. Oh, there sure can be. I mean, and, and lockout uh, doesn't always mean that you're going to apply a lock to it. Sometimes it's knowing that there's, for instance, a spinning piece of machinery that's going to take a while to slow down, and until it comes to rest, reaching into a blind area could be that mechanism injury. I'm not going to put a lock on that ever, but I am going to realize it takes 30 minutes or five minutes, you know, for this mm-hmm. thing to fully spin down so that it's safe to approach the machine. Okay, so really being familiar with all the inner workings of this different mm-hmm. machinery to make sure you're putting the proper steps in place. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, um, Working from that, I know that, you know, there's there's all different kind of operations out there, all different mm-hmm. kinds of equipment and machinery. What are some ty- common types of equipments that may have the hazardous energy that safety professionals would need to be concerned about? Well, some examples. Yeah, um, it, it ranges so much because <laughs> um, every industry and just about every service business, every utility has got loads of machinery that if you get into the wrong place and this comes on suddenly, you're going to get hurt. Mm-hmm. Okay? So the gamut is wide. And, and I think what some people um, mistakenly do is they pay attention to the scary machinery where you know a lot could go wrong. And maybe if they lock out, that's where they put their emphasis. But it's simple and smaller machinery that often causes the injury to mm-hmm. take place. Um, it's misunderstood, you know, as far as OSHA's uh, exceptions to lockout, that if you have cord and plug connected equipment, it's a single power source. And if you simply control the plug, uh, 
that's sufficient in terms of OSHA compliance. But the idea okay. is you are making sure nobody else can plug that in um, because that simple machine, although it's only got one power source, mm-hmm. is enough to cause some very serious injury. Okay. Um, but then machinery can get very complex in its um, energy sources. There can be multiple types all included into one um, work area where you want to do the the uh, task assigned to you. Um, there could be electrical power to motors or pumps. There could be hydraulic pressure that's actuating um, cylinders that, that are moving major portions of the machine. There could be pneumatics, which um, trigger faster um, actions okay. and, and at lower power, but still enough to cause harm. Uh, there are, is often um, heat that is a latent force that hot enough to burn, and if you suddenly come in contact with it, could be terrible. You could open sure. up a pipe containing steam or a, a high-temperature water, and being sprayed with that would be that sudden release of energy that causes real harm. Uh-huh. So a lot of people say, oh, you don't have to worry about the water. Uh, <laughs> understand what it can do. Sure. Understand what it can do. And those are primary sources. When we say primary, those are the factors driving the machinery to do its job. When I shut this machinery down and I, I secure the energy isolation points and I put my locks in there, it's still not safe. There is often stored energy remaining behind within the machinery that has to be accounted for before you can go forward. For instance, uh, electricity has capacitors. Uh, electricity often is backed up by a generator that comes on in an emergency mm-hmm. if it senses the power is down to this machine. There could be battery units, you know. So just securing the electricity and calling it good is not enough if you don't understand there's other sources feeding the machine. Sure, sure. I may shut off an air valve, but from the point of the valve being shut off to the device it's operating, there may be plenty of line pressure to make that machine actuate several times more before it fully comes to a stop. So you have to consider primary sources, and then you have to consider stored energy within Mm -hmm. the machine, such as that uh, mechanical activity I talked about, where a flywheel may need five minutes to spin fully down before it's safe to approach and have contact with the machine. Okay. Uh, Going off of that, that's really interesting. As we talked about with so many different machines, all these different, what are the best ways, you know, whether it's, you know, workers safety for, to, to familiarize themselves with all these, you know, different, yeah. different circumstances they could encounter during the workday. Well, Scott, I'll, I'll draw a parallel to the way we teach how lockout procedures should be written. And part of um, the initial training is to pay attention to the machine in operation. You okay. want to see where action is taking place. What is that action? You know, is, there's, there's a point of operation, action, where work is done on materials. And then there may be danger zones within the machine where movement of sections of the machinery to feed in new parts right. or ejection of finished parts or bringing a, a machine into alignment, you know. Mm-hmm. All those actions can be... Uh, observed when the machine is in full operation. Mm -hmm. So what we coach is, what does the machine physically do in terms of actions? Then, next step is, what are the power sources triggering those actions? 
Third, where do you isolate each one of those energy points so that the actions cannot occur any longer? And fourth, where are the stored energy traps that if you don't isolate them and bleed off the remaining pressure or allow systems to come to a full rest, Mm -hmm. uh, you are exposed to the dangers of it. So it's important to see the way the machinery Mm -hmm. truly works. An expert can walk up to a machine that's turned off and could write a lockout procedure just perceiving how it operates. But I think familiarizing yourself mm-hmm. with what the machine does right. is essential. Okay. And, and from start to finish, seeing you know, how much time it takes to power up and how much time it takes to power down. As you mentioned, something could be, you could have spinning parts mm-hmm. in there for another you know, few minutes after the, the machinery shuts down. So it's crucial to absolutely observe uh, until it comes to a stop. I've yeah. seen uh, a number of accidents where um, a machine part is elevated in order to gain access to do the maintenance work. Mm-hmm. Um, some power source raised that part of the machine up. Let's call it a great, a large hatch that gives you access to where the um, action is taking place. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that stored energy is gravity, and if I do anything to dis disconnect the linkage that's holding that up, such as take the cylinder off or bleed pressure off the cylinder, the weight is going to cause that to come back to ground. Right. And if a person's in the pinch point, and frequently they are, um, that's scary. the accident <laughs> happens. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, and people don't realize the traps they set for themselves. Um, this was a few years ago, but um, there was... The, perfect demonstration of this is there was a man working on a forklift he had elevated the carriage and the forks up so he could get to the pump at the base of the forks mm-hmm. he had propped the, the forks up with a piece of wood which he thought was sufficient but the hydraulic lines were pressurized to hold that carriage in place even though the forklift wasn't running when he disassembled the hose and the pressure suddenly bled out the carriage with those forks yes. came right down on top of him, and it was a fatal accident. So, hmm. knowing where you've set traps for yourself, um, and making sure those are embedded into good procedures, sure. so important because if you don't explain to people where it can happen, you're hoping their perception is good enough each and every time they do the work that they're going to pick up on it. But most people are so one-minded about getting their job done, right. they don't see the big picture of what they're truly right. getting themselves into. Mm-hmm. So the, the communication piece is a, a big part of that, too, uh, making sure everybody understands you know, proper operating procedures and mm-hmm. what can happen when they're not followed. Absolutely. Um, we talked a little bit about lockout as a means of keeping workers safe from hazardous energy. I wonder if you could speak a little bit to tag out as as another means that safety professionals can use to keep workers safe, you know, the differences between lockout and tag out and maybe some circumstances where tag out might be used. Sure, Scott. Um, lockout uh, always involves a lock. Mm-hmm. It may have a tag hanging off of it. Mm-hmm. And the important thing is either on the lock or on the tag we identify the person who's placed that lock. Mm -hmm. Because if the time comes where we need to have that removed, we need to know who had placed it so we can request them to remove Mm -hmm. their lock and get a status of where the equipment is at in terms of the repair being done. Okay. So it's essential that you identify yourself if you place a lock. Mm -hmm. 
tag out is when you only place a tag. Okay? okay. And a lot of people say lockout, tagout, thinking it's a lock with a tag on it, okay. but that's not true. Two separate things. Two separate yeah. things. Tagout means I, I identified an energy source that I am controlling, and I've put my name on it, and tagout requires more information. It requires date, nature of work. There's, there's more mm-hmm. explanatory information required on tagout. Okay. Then in addition, tagout requires something extra being done to add to the margin of safety. So, for instance, I may have to tag out one valve upstream, mm-hmm. put my name on it, let the pipe drain down, tag out a second valve okay. downstream, put my name on there on the tag, before I can service the pump that is downstream from the um, vet, the second valve. Mm-hmm. Okay, Now, that's two energy isolation points. And if I would ask you to help me, Scott, I would need you to either put your own tag on both valves okay. or add your name to the, the tag itself. Right. So now we know exactly who's working mm-hmm. on it. So um, tag out certainly had a place where when the ANSI standard first came out because there was not an abundance of lockable energy isolation points. Mm-hmm. And there weren't a lot of aftermarket equipment that you could apply so that you could secure it with a lock. Therefore, tagout was very important. However, uh, OSHA says that when you can lock out, you must lock out. Okay. So there's, there's a real prevalence of lockout um, throughout industry and, mm-hmm. and construction and wherever it's being mm-hmm. applied, maritime and, and okay. MSHA, it's all lockout. But there are instances where tagout done in a very responsible, controlled manner mm-hmm. is, I think, just as effective okay. as lockout. Mm-hmm. And we supported that in the new ANSI standard, saying tagout has a place um, uh, in a responsible, well-controlled workplace. And tagout may be a method that you use when you come across something that cannot be locked out at the moment, mm-hmm. but then you make a commitment I'm going to replace this valve with something I can lock, or this okay. electrical control is something that can be locked in the future, or I'll get one of these aftermarket devices that can clamp to it. Mm-hmm. So it, it's not a stopper to say you cannot do the job until it's lockable, um, but you're obligated to upgrade the equipment to make it lockable if your standard practice is lockout. Okay, so there may be certain circumstances where for whatever reason it's not feasible to put a lock on something but then you need to take the necessary steps to to yes. make it lockable as you, as you move right. forward okay right and, and in parallel to lockout the person who applies the tag and identifies themselves on the tag is the only person who should remove the tag mm-hmm. when that job is um, properly completed mm-hmm. and the tag cannot easily be removed it needs to be put on and the most common thing is a nylon zip tie which cannot be just unwound like a piece of wire and removed. It has to be cut. And that physical act is best done by the person who applied the tag. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's tampering with a tag out if someone else would come up and just cut this tag off. But you can see now a lock provides much more solidity and confidence, mm-hmm. much more tamper resistant, which is why 95 of the percent of the hazardous energy control practices I think out there in the country these days are lockout. Okay. Going back to talking about the the equipment itself, um, 
what are some of the circumstances that can lead to stored energy being released from a piece of machinery or equipment? You touched on that a little bit, but in other words, what should safety professionals be on the lookout for or what might be some of the, the warning signs that a piece of machinery or equipment might be in danger of releasing hazardous energy? Well, um, taking a look at what the people are doing, um, are they going in deeply in the machinery areas where um, the act, the physical action takes place. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple of concerns there. We've already talked about the gravity issue. Right. Okay. Um, we've not talked about yet the idea that um, workers entering spaces where machinery, um, processes, materials, or parts often c- can trigger sensors designed to sense material oh, okay. that needs to be processed. Okay. But with remaining energy in the system, for instance, um, air pressure remaining in the system, coming up and hit a proximity switch with your mm-hmm. hand or breaking a, you know, an, a light beam can trigger the machine to, to move on you. And you may think it's locked up, but if you didn't bleed the energy, the, the mm-hmm. air pressure, this machine is still fully functional. Okay. Okay. Um, people often think about the machine, but don't think about the material inside it. Um, That's a good point. Just had a um, situation where it was an aluminum um, extrusion factory. They had locked out a machine. There was an aluminum log in place. The machine downstream was not locked out. It fed an aluminum log through. It hit the back log and that's what you know, so the, the log within the locked out machine was the mechanism of injury because the, the upstream log Hit it and right. moved it and caused okay. it to happen. So you have to look at these these um, challenges, but that indeed would be stored energy. Right. <clears throat> okay. Situation. It was a lockout violation that the machinery upstream should have been locked out as mm-hmm. well. Okay. So as to not cause yeah. that kind of incident. So sometimes a lockout done well involves more than the machine you're working on. It's locking out the upstream activity and the downstream activity that could hurt you okay. as well. Join us again next time when we'll be continuing our conversation with Todd Grover and discussing how the ANSI-ASSP Z244 standard can help keep workers safe from hazardous energy. If you'd like to learn more about the Z244.1 standard or other ANSI-ASSP standards, visit ASSP.org standards. We'll see you next time.